T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. One bourbon. Welcome in, welcome back. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I'm Steve Rosenwald, he's Mark Grody. We go to the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. That music can mean only one thing. That's the walk-up song for our next guest from the Chicago Tribune. Wake of the News columnist, Paul Sullivan. Sully, how's your quarantine going? Oh, I'm quarantining, all right. I'm uh, out in Lincoln Park, uh... A little uh, exercise, so uh, you know, get this in while uh, before the tornado comes. Yeah, you know there is a tornado watch until 8 p.m. for the a wide swath of the area from the north north border would be Madison, Milwaukee, and the southern line would be just a, just north of Champaign and Springfield. So that includes where Sully's walking and. And so be careful you don't get lifted up into Oz, okay? All right, Sully? <laughs> okay, I know the next joke coming with that one, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll move on. Okay. What's the next um, joke? Wait a minute. I don't get it. <laughs> we, were, um, we were discussing the – as we exited the last dance and we discussed the complicated legacy of Scottie Pippen, made worse when he said he would, wouldn't change a thing – talking about 1.8 seconds where he sat down. And then there comes a documentary on Sammy Sosa and the great home run race of 1998 and the complicated legacy of Sammy Sosa. We have no idea what will be said, what will be unveiled. I don't know if you know what's in that or what the expectation is, but what do you expect that to show? And will we learn anything about Sammy? Will we change our mind about anything about Sammy? Well, my guess is no. We won't learn anything new. I don't expect him to drop a bombshell and, you know, confession or anything. Uh, I was interviewed for it. I can say that. Um, But I think as we saw from the last dance, uh, just because you're interviewed doesn't mean you'll be in it. So I have no idea if I'll make the cut. But uh, just from the line of questioning, as I can recall, I mean, it was last summer, but it seemed like it would be more of a, you know, it wasn't going to be like a steroid, you know, indictment of McGuire and Sammy. It was going to be kind of a celebration of of the home run race, which in the moment was, as you know, really a 
a great event and it was a lot of fun. And it wasn't until really afterwards that, uh, you know, it was all tarnished by the steroid stuff. But uh, I'm sure that will be part of it. But I think it's more going to be more of a flashback on, uh, you know, this is what happened and they saved baseball and blah, blah, blah. And then maybe at the end it'll be, and then this happened, you know, one of those deals. Well, if it, Paul, if they do, if they do portray it that way, if this is more of a celebration of what Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, why wouldn't it potentially revive his public reputation in a good way when people act with, with all the time that has gone by with having hit 600 plus career home runs don't you think some people might look at it and go what the hell's going on why is this guy so low on the depth chart for the hall of fame or for even being welcomed back in wrigleyville well first i'm just guessing i have no idea where what direction they're going to go and i'm just saying by the line of questioning to me it seemed more of uh so you know what happened here what happened here because mm-hmm. as you know it started out yeah. sammy was just basically a nobody in all of this and everybody knew mcguire and then out, he came out of the blue hit 20 home runs in june all of a sudden you know he's sammy sosa everybody knows him and um so i mean i i just don't think it's i mean it's only a one-parter number one so it's not going to be a whole you know episode of jordan's life i mean of uh, sammy's life like michael <laughs> jordan's life yeah it definitely won't be Jordan's life, but I mean, it won't be like, uh, you know, all the flashbacks. I mean, if you're going to do a whole Sammy, you got to talk about the court bat and the congressional testimony and uh, the sneeze. And, you know, there's just so many episodes. The walkout, I mean, he, he could do one on just on him that would last quite a few episodes. But this is, I think, focused on just the great race. And uh, it was a great race. Um, it just uh, turned out to be, you know, a tainted great race in the end. So I don't think it's going to repair his episode. Or it's not going to repair his image with anyone that already had uh, the impression of Sammy in their minds that most people have. Talking with Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune. We're talking Sammy Sosa and the long gone documentary that will be coming up on ESPN and what it might do to him. Well, Tom Ricketts, Paul, is not, he's waiting for something. He's yeah. waiting for an apology and an admission, I would think. I, I yeah. you know exactly what Ricketts wants to hear, and it, if he's waiting for an apology, there has to be an appropriate amount of contrition, I would imagine, which I've never seen Sammy show. So what what, no. what does Tom Ricketts want, and will this do it for him? Well, I, I would be the last person to ask what Tom Ricketts wants. <laughs> uh, so I can't really say that. But just judging from what, uh, you know, I mean, he gets I, – I know that just during the Cubs convention, he got tired of every year being asked about, you know, are you going to welcome Sammy back? Is this the year? And, you know, every once in a while, Sammy would do an interview with someone. He did one with the, the former PR Cubs PR guy Chuck Wasserson a couple of years ago, where he compared <clears throat> compared himself to Jesus as being persecuted like Jesus. 
which, you know, did him no favors. Mm -hmm. So it seems like every time, and I've done, you know, we've all done millions of stories on this, and I've talked to his old teammates and fans, and, uh, you know, most of his teammates I talk to say that he should be back. But every time he opens his mouth, it seems like he, he just puts his foot in it, and then he, he takes another step backwards. So every time I think that maybe the Cubs will change their mind, uh, he, he says something that, you know, that forces Ricketts to say, yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. I mean, Ricketts yeah. doesn't need Sammy. Sammy needs the Cubs more than the Cubs need Sammy at this point. Well, Paul, I also think that if – Tom Ricketts or the Cubs or whomever is working in this regard or this area, if they thought that Cubs fans wanted Sammy back, that there's an appetite for him, they'd bring him back in a heartbeat. I don't think it's necessarily their personal vendettas against Sosa. If they thought that the 30,000, 40,000 that go to Wrigley every day would love a Sammy Sosa running out, sprinting out there in the pregame, and that would make everybody excited, and they do it. So, to me, there's just not an appetite from the fans at this point. I think it's as simple as that. I don't agree with that. I think uh, it's at the very least half and half. I mean, there's been enough time that's gone by that, you know, some people don't care. I think most people probably don't care. They're just exhausted of Sammy fatigue at this point. I mean, he's been gone for, you know, 2004. That was 16 years ago. Uh, you know what would be funny if they brought him back this year with the, the empty stadium and, uh, you know, he could sit in the seat by himself and, you know. <laughs> Baseball you know, has been good to me. Sit there with a the little American flag and say, God bless America. And, yeah. you know, people can applaud him from the comfort of their uh, own homes. So uh, that would be my uh, that would be my plan if, I, if the Ricketts asked me about it. Ease them in. I like it, Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you don't think, uh, I mean, Ricketts, you think you'd bring him back if the fans asked him to? Because I think yeah. most fans, really? I do. I mean, no, I always, I, 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 I've always felt that they, they, the one thing that they do is that they will, if they think that their fans, like, like why do you think they still play, you know, the, the, um, Cubs are going to win today song after every single day? Why do you think that they have, they have cut down on who they have in the booth in the seventh inning. I mean, that's all like a reaction to what fans have liked and not liked. If they, if the, if there was popular opinion, and there's not right now, there's not popular opinion from people. People aren't like, where's Sammy Sosa? We need Sammy Sosa. It's not happening. But if it was, I think they would let him back in. I also think that a lot of this too is the product of having won a World Series. That that because they won a World Series, there's not nearly as much nostalgia involved. But I do think in that case that if the popular demand was Sosa, they would definitely adhere to it. It's a business, you know? Well, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't agree. But uh, I do think that, uh, you know, and I'm not on, not saying Sammy should come back or shouldn't, but uh, it, it's got to be killing him to see Barry Bonds not only come back, but, he, you know, have his uniform <laughs> retired and yeah. A-Rod's on, like, uh, every you know, game uh, in the World Series and game of the week, uh, you know, he was way worse of a cheater than Sammy as far as, you know, he cheated and then cheated again after he came back. So, I mean, he was, uh, you know, to see him get his image, you know, cleaned up for really no reason, I think has got to really get under Sammy's skin. 
And as we know, Sammy's skin is a different color than it used to be. So, but as a, as a, would it be accurate to say that between McGuire admitting, they, they all admitted it, McGuire, Bonds, yeah. A-Rod. Pettit, I mean, a lot of people have admitted it. Right, and that the, that's one of the things that you were talking, in, in talking about Bonds and A-Rod, for instance, and also the fact that McGuire had gotten jobs back in the game, there was, they, it was either incontrovertible evidence or an admission or both, and that's what happened with them, which was a which is a simple enough path. I don't know that yeah. Sammy is capable of deep thoughts, but if he were, or if his people were to tell him, Sammy say well, that's this. That's the key. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but Who if his, his people? people were to say, right? Well, have him say, yeah, I use steroids because I grew up as a poor shoe shine kid, and home runs were where the money was. And I wanted to hit home runs. Yeah. So what if what if he does that? What if that kind of admission comes from Sammy Sosa? What what happens? Well, then? then you know, all power to him. I mean, but do you see him doing that? I mean, the last time he had a major, like a national interview, I think was a couple of years ago with uh, Jeremy Sheff, where Jeremy, you know, asked him about ten times, and he said, "I never failed a test. I never failed a test." So he was basically saying that. You know, he wasn't going to say it. And, uh, you know, the one test that he was, uh, you know, indicted on was uh, before drug testing even came in, and it was the anonymous testing, and someone released uh, his name to the New York Times. Uh, and also uh, Big Poppy was, uh, his name was released to the New York, New York Times on that, too. So, uh, and everyone loves Big Poppy, and, you know, you you wouldn't think he'd have a problem getting into the Hall of Fame when, when he's eligible. So uh, I, I just don't see him doing it after all these years. It would be like Pete Rose, you know, how many years mm-hmm. did he deny betting? And then he finally did it, but it, it was a little bit too late. It, it is amazing to me that an apology in these cases suddenly makes everything okay. I mean, I do understand how it works, but it's like you've committed a crime, just admit it, and then you can go to the Hall of Fame and everything will be fine. It's like, you robbed a store, we're going to put you in jail. But if you admit that you did it, you can come out of jail. I mean, McGuire's not in the Hall of Fame and he'll never get in. Uh, and he admitted it. So, and same with Bonds, I mean. Yeah, but he's allowed to work you know, and he's allowed to be around yeah. fans and, and Sosa's not. Yeah, I think that's the key. If, if you do admit it, you can come back to your organization or you can get a job yeah. in baseball. Um, you know, I mean, Yankees fans still love Andy Pettit. Uh, I mean, there's just so many guys out there. Uh, but I think Sammy looks at some guys are in the Hall of Fame that he's pretty sure did steroids too. And, uh, you know, they never, you know, they were suspected of it, but they never uh, seemed to pay the same price as him. And, you know, Mike Piazza probably being the foremost in that category. Talk Manny about Ramirez. Yeah, right. Pardon me? Manny Ramirez, another guy who had busted yeah. twice, well, right? I mean, yeah. Well, he's not in, but uh, no. But I'm saying again, another example of a yeah, guy he who came has been back. allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was on the Cubs. Uh, yes. Staff. But... He was Starlin Castro's guy. Yeah, yeah. Remember? He was a trip. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> I think he didn't. I see he's going to play in Taiwan or Japan or somewhere. Really? He never stops, man. 
Yeah, he should stop. Yeah. But at least he's not here. So It was fun having him in the around though the cubs he was always like occasionally yeah, for talk you and it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. that's that's a good point i had a different yeah time. you're right yeah you're right, he wasn't probably. fun for me no yeah no he was no okay. fun at all for me uh, okay but, let it out paul yeah, let we, it out no 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 i understand Groat. you're like you had a different position than me and yeah you know you could get along with these guys with no problem and you know right. i was forced to uh actually confront him about stuff so whatever you you had to be the bad guy no i get it i get it i was the bad cop you were the good cop right exactly that's the way it worked that's the way it worked thank you paul before (laughs) before we let you go sully the um the piece you wrote today on jerry sloan um i thought spot on that there was just the the work ethic and especially him and van leer the ferocity as tough as it gets all very chicago and very much Coming up, coming up short was very much Chicago until things started to change. But that was that symbolized it as well. The uh, did you were you, were you a Bulls fan then? A, a, a Sloan oh, yeah. fan? A Van yeah. fan? I was yeah, all all the above. Uh, you know that was the teams I grew up with uh, the early seventies, and then you know it, it was like during that era was the era of the big Chicago chokes. I mean the Hawks choked and the Canadians in the game seven and the Cubs blew it in 69 and then the Bulls blew it in the, you know, to the Warriors. And so it seemed like, you know, every, every, that was the Chicago team's mark was they were going to get there. They were going to get close and then they were going to blow it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they did break my heart back then, but you still loved them. And I, I, you know, I wrote a thing on Tom Borwinkle last week after they dissed him in the last dance and I, I got more response from that than anything I've written all year because people love Tom Borwinkle and they thought he was treated shabbily in the last dance and uh, they agreed with me and then everyone that knew him said he was a great guy too and he and he and Sloan were you know best buddies on those old teams so uh, you know I didn't know Sloan but everything I hear is great and Melissa Isaacson wrote really some really touching stories uh, if you ever talk to her about it uh, really uh talking about the character of Gary Sloan it was he was really a special person yeah he he Sloan mentioned Borwinkle at his Hall of Fame induction speech and he said Borwinkle bought the the land behind him bought the house behind him and he says yeah. I'm, I'm I'm roommate with you now I gotta gotta look <laughs> at you every day in the backyard and Borwinkle says no, I'm going to build a fence at 610 so I can look over the top, but you can't. <laughs> and, you know, uh, John Mendelt, the former Bull, uh, I was talking to him yesterday, and he said that when uh, Sloan got fired as the, the Bulls coach, or maybe it was when he was getting hired, uh, Bob Logan, Lefty Logan, the old classic Tribune uh, reporter mm-hmm. that you, we all know and loved, uh, was hiding in the bushes to try and get Sloan to he was in Borwinkle's bushes waiting to, for Sloan to come out of his house to interview him, like an ambush interview, wow. a real ambush interview in, in the bush. Really? Yeah, it's an yeah. ambush. Well, we expect that from you as the wake of the news columnist, Sully. Yeah, we- uh, I am going to ambush uh, uh, maybe Sammy. Who knows? Yeah, be, get in his hedges and let us know how that turns <laughs> out. <laughs> thanks, Sully. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks have, guys. Have Bye, a good Paul. quarantine. All right. You too. Paul, See you, Paul, See you. Right. See you man. Right. 
What a great, Paul what a Sullivan great guy. Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, it's great to talk to. It was wonderful. So, um, so there's your th- again complicated legacy of Sosa. You mentioned, you know, the cork bat, the video of him leaving, the 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 Flintstones vitamins and all those jokes, and and he is the you know people who've admitted it get jobs back in baseball. They they people we fans want to fans may need there are a, a stripe of Cubs fans. They don't need I don't need to hear anything from you. I know what he did for me. I had a great summer of 98 and the years that followed, and and I don't care. He was hopped up on this. Everybody was, but there are others who would would like to hear an apology, I think, and then eagerly forgive him. Yeah, I mean, look, it, like I said, I think nostalgia has taken a hit with the Cubs since they won the World Series, and that's a good thing. And right now, mm-hmm. as opposed to it being a focus, it's a novelty when you have these greats coming back to the Cubs. It's great, and it's wonderful, and we could all cheer, but it's not the focal point anymore because winning is the focal point. Thank God. Um, Steve, I don't know what you have on your what's coming up list, but I do want to, uh, coming up soon, give some props to our producer, Adam Stadzinski, because I've been really hard on him in this show, and I do have some genuine props for him that I'd like to to get out there, based on some people who uh, text some things in, too. All right. Well, he's he's good enough. He's smart enough. And doggone it, people like him. Mm-hmm. We'll discuss that, and uh, we'll discuss Stuart Smalley making a comeback on yes. NBCSN. So we'll do that, and then later in the hour, we will replay an interview with John Lester done by... Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Inside the Clubhouse. Stick around. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And here come the pretzels. And here comes Mark Grody with some nice words about our trash panda. The trash panda is our executive producer. is Adam Zinski, who... You know, we were riding them pretty good earlier in the show for not treating Toby like a gold card member that he is. Uh, but, <laughs> bro. Do we have gold cards on this show? Nah, they're probably copies of gold cards is what yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. are. That's pictures yeah. of gold cards. There pictures you go. of them. Yeah, man. So, earlier in the show, Adam, you played some Tool as a bumper music, and immediately that stimulated responses from people listening. Tool! Yeah! Um, and I happen to be a late bloomer to the to the Maynard James Keenan gang and Tool, and I've like recently really gotten into them because I was so grudge-oriented in college in the 90s, and now I'm discovering or rediscovering or getting back into a lot of the new metal that was in the later 90s and 2000s, like Corn and System of a Down and Slipknot and even Limp Biscuit. But don't tell anybody about that. But bravo on the tool, bro. Oh, yeah, man. See, I, I can't believe that I was into tool earlier than you, considering you our age difference. That's incredible. I, I got into I tool in high school. And some of my friends that were listening to a lot of heavier stuff than I was kind of introduced me to them. And, well, the reason I started listening to them is because their drummer is one of the best drummers that's ever lived, Danny Carey. I would put him okay. on my short list of top five that's ever lived. Wow. And uh, he's, he's incredible. He's one of the few drummers that I've never been able to, like, emulate really at all. Like, it's, there's, like, that song I played is called Vicarious, 
And the thing with Tool is they, they like to do a lot of odd time signatures. Like, they almost never play in what most bands play in, which is like 4-4, four, four, like sure. four beats a measure. They, it's like, so Vicarious, I was trying to learn how to play because it sounded cool. And I was probably like 15 or 16. And I'm like, what the hell is this playing in? <laughs> I had to actually look it up. Like, I, I couldn't figure it out. It turns out it's in five. And I was like, oh, okay. But, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, that's my nerdy Tool story. That's the only yeah. song I've ever been to, like, there's, like, two Tool songs I've been able to actually like, kind of play, and that's one That's of them. fantastic, man. I haven't, I've never seen them do a show. I've seen Korn now a couple times, and they sell it, man. They're into it. They know what their gig is. They know it might be, it might even be starting to look a little cheesy with all the headbanging they do, but they go full throttle. So I like the, the, um, the enthusiasm. Uh, for lack of a better term, that, that these new metal bands have. So I have enjoyed it thoroughly. By the way, one quick uh, drummer question for you, Adam Staczynski. Um, are, are you a fan of my guy? Now, be careful. My guy, Glenn Kochi, who is the drummer of Wilco, who I went to high school with and was in the marching band with. What do you think about his drumming prowess? Well, i got to be honest with you. I've never been that into Wilco. But I will give him props. He's a pretty damn good drummer. So... I think okay. I I don't know if he would make my my he probably wouldn't make my top five list, but Ugh, all right, that, Stevie, I, I, I know you like uh, you like some uh, Wilco because I ran into you at a Wilco concert once, right, Stevie Sunshine? Well, that's right, we shared some lawn at Pritzker Plaza, right? Pritzker, the, the, well, yeah. whatever they call that thing, yeah, the Pritzker Pavilion. The thing. Yes, yeah. we did. We shared some lawn there, and Wilco put on a great show. It was a very nice night. Yes, indeed. Ah, the memories. We um. Before we go, we're going to be uh, bringing you John Lester, and then we'll bring you a Cubs replay of a, of a game from 2016. It was played September 4th. Jason Hayward, goat early, hero late. And after that will be Zach Zaidman. But I did want to mention for your viewing pleasure, because, Mark, I know you're, a, you're an SNL, um, an alert SNL viewer. The... The number of sports stars who have appeared as hosts on SNL will now be rolled out for you on NBC Sports Network starting Monday. There's going to be 20 different shows with sports stars on there. Most famously around here, we remember Michael Jordan, right? And sure. and he hosted and he was he did there's a terrific scene there with with Al Franken as Stuart Smalley. We have the daily affirmation with Stuart Smalley, and he's trying to help Michael to to more appropriate, to more optimistic thinking. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and <laughs> doggone it, people like me. We don't have time to play the whole thing. We so don't have time funny. to play it right now because we have to. We're heading. We're getting near a break, but enough people know that. Are there other, there's two other things when I saw this that jumped out at me. The two sports stars and the specific um, videos that they were associated with when they hosted. Do you have, do you have things that jump to mind when you hear sports stars on SNL? Um, well, beyond MJ, I guess Charles Barkley is one guy that, jumps to mind for having hosted multiple times i know peyton manning has and was very right. good tom brady did was not very good so i don't know i'm just listing people at this point right but no but the barkley for. the first two that came to mind were barkley when he's playing one-on-one -on -one against barney the purple dinosaur oh yeah 
is it's outstanding. Yeah, it's just really he's funny. elbowing the dinosaur. <laughs> he throws the ball off his head. He's dunking all over him, and he hits him so hard. He hits this happy mascot so hard that one of the eyes pop out. It's unbelievable. It's great. <laughs> and Peyton Manning throwing the football at all the little kids when he's playing out there on the on the grass with them on the on the playground. Yeah. And he didn't want to do the scene because he thought he'd hurt the kids throwing the football. And all the parents are saying, no, really, it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. We want our kid to be kid. hit by a Peyton Manning pass. It's true. He was telling this story. It's so good. All right, that's starting Monday on, on um, NBCSN. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there will be a uh, replay of the John Lester interview with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel from Inside the Clubhouse, followed by... Cubs game from September 4th, 2016. Cubs three Giants, two 13 innings. Jason Hayward, your hero. And after that, Zach Zabeman will be there to take your calls and talk sports with you in Chicago. want to thank you for listening to Mark Rohde and I on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome and welcome back. wanted to bring you a wonderful interview with Cubs Pitcher John Lester, done by Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel earlier today on Inside the Clubhouse. This will take you up to the top of the hour with uh, the Cubs game from September 4th. Cubs 3, Giants 2 in 13 innings. And after that game will be Zach Zaidman to continue your live and local programming here on The Score. Thanks for listening to Grody and Rosenblum. We appreciate it. I hope you're all well. And... Have a good Memorial Day. You'll finally get the chance to spend some time at home. Be well. Thank you. First and foremost, uh, the family, yourself, everybody in your area, how have you uh, been doing physically, uh, mentally uh, during these tough periods? Uh, I mean, physically, everything's good. Family's good. Um, You know, laying low and, and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure I'm with everybody else on the mental side of it where it's you know, it gets a little old just kind of sitting around not doing anything. So, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of get some life back into everybody and get back going, doing what we're uh, used to doing. Do you do any uh, any active farming, John? You doing any work uh, on, on on your farm these days? As uh, you've had all this time on your hands? Uh, I haven't done anything at the farm. No, I went actually just went down there yesterday. Took the boys down there fishing and and kind of put it around down there. But uh, we got a, like a little garden in, in the backyard I've been I've been messing around with and doing that. But uh, no, nothing nothing down on the farm. I got got the people that know what the heck they're doing, doing that and, and taking care of that for me. John, uh, as, as us as uh, fans of the games, um, yeah, first and foremost, we're all fans, whether you play or you broadcast or you watch it, uh, we love the game. Uh, what should fans, you being a veteran of so many years and uh, uh, negotiations that you've seen between players and owners, what should we as fans pay attention to when we hear uh, posturing going on on both sides and the, the intricacies of being able to return to a normal half season of baseball? Well, I think the biggest thing, and I mean, I'm guilty of it just like everybody else, is you can't believe everything that's put out there. Um, you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we had stuff being leaked that you know, wasn't even presented to the players yet. So, 
there, there's there's just a lot of stuff. I think people have a lot of time, obviously, on their hands to, um, I, I don't want to say fabricate stories, but, you know, really try to dig and find things, uh, possible leaks and, and so forth. So I think the biggest thing is you can't, you can't believe every little word that's written um, about either side. You know, I think either side right now has been, has been great. You know, we're really trying to work towards an agreement uh, to get this thing going. I think everybody's main concern is, is the safety. You know, we, we the, the, the other stuff we can kind of figure out as we go, but, uh, you know, players and, and, and owners and all this stuff, doctors, everybody wants to be safe. So we don't want to rush into this thing and, and start risking, um, you know, health. So not only health based on, you know, the, this pandemic, but health, you know, physically for the player when it comes to, you know, shortened spring training uh, and, and trying to get revved up for a, for a season, you know, that fast. So uh, th- I think that's the main thing that players are focusing on, owners are focusing on is the health. And then, you know, obviously the, the other stuff will, will fall when uh, we can kind of figure out the testing and so forth. Hey, John, the 67-page document with all the safety protocols and how baseball might do the testing and how it might look, it was daunting, um, and it seemed extremely thorough. Wondering how that was received from your perspective, if you thought MLB was looking out for, for your safety as it went through that, and, and you personally, as a, as a cancer survivor, how you're feeling about um, you know, the level of safety that, that the game will be able to provide to you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everybody's, like I said, everybody's main concern is safety. And anytime you get a group of people in a room or on a phone call or on a zoom call or whatever it may be, you're going to have a million different opinions and a million different questions. So when that, when that was laid in front of us, and then you, you hear all the information, you're immediately going to have questions. And sometimes you have the same question as another guy. You just word it differently. So it takes a while to get through this stuff. It's not just going to happen overnight. Um, but like, like I said, MLB, from the owner's side of it to the player's side of it, we're, we're, we're bending over backwards to try to get this, this health side of it figured out. Um, you know, they're, they're, we have our own testing facility. Um, so we're not taking anything away from the public as far as that. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives in it. It's just, like I said, you get you get all these players and all these owners on, on phone calls and, and stuff like that. You're going to have a million different questions that people have to or want to get answered in order to move forward. That's the voice of John Lester. This is Inside the Clubhouse with... Uh, Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine, we're here for you every week, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball from 9 to 11. John, uh, what are the personal challenges of John Lester after going through one spring training and now the reality of another for three weeks, getting back to baseball at your age and uh, your experience without having left some things behind in the first spring training and moving forward to uh, the unknown of an 82-game season? Uh, I think I think the biggest challenge is just the unknown. Um, you know, we've had some some phone calls with, you know, with Rossi and, and other players and, and, you know, our pitching coach, Tommy. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's, that's really everybody's concern. But for me especially, I, I just don't – I don't want to get ramped up for an unknown date and, you know, 
to turn it back down. So it, it's a fine line of, of keeping the arm moving, playing some catch, doing some things, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, maybe getting off the mound right this second. Um, but I, I think you just, once we get this date, then you can kind of, you know, I've been doing enough stuff to, to be able to build. And I feel like, you're just kind of, you know, mentally waiting for that date. And once that date hits, it's like, okay, now I go. Um, so that's been kind of the challenge is just is balancing the unknown of, you know, every year you work towards February 14th or February 18th or whatever it is for spring training. So you have that date, that end date in mind, you know, when you're working out in November or December and you're throwing in January, like, okay, I'm building towards this date. Um, you know, right now there's there's no date to build towards, so it's kind of, you know, that 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 unknown is is kind of throwing you off mentally. It's like you can't really get after it. You can't really prepare like you would for for normal normal spring training. You know, but that being said, when you get there, um, whatever that date may be, you know, I know, you know, our medical staff, our our coaching staff, we're all going to be erring on the side of caution to get guys ramped up. So. You know, we definitely don't want to be coming in first day and throwing to, you know, throwing an inning or two innings or whatever to hitters in, and now you're pushing yourself back where you, you possibly can't even play 81 games or 82 games. So um, there's just that fine line, and I think, like I said, the biggest thing is just the unknown. And, and John, it's been so crazy to realize how unique and individual everybody's situation is in terms of what they can do to be ready. You know, we've talked to some pitchers who have a net in the backyard and some pitchers have a mound uh, in the backyard and some pitchers, some guys don't. You know, what's what's your setup at home? Do you have enough stuff to do anything you want to do? Do you have somebody who could catch you if you wanted to throw off the mound at, at, at full strength at some point? Yeah, I got a, I got a, uh, enough stuff um, downstairs in my house to take care of what I need to take care of and stay, stay where I need to stay as far as uh, strength-wise, you know, going into a spring training. So I've got that, you know, that benefit. Um, and I do have a, a kid that I've, I've thrown to probably the last, well, since I moved up to Atlanta, five years or so. Um, and he actually just took a job with uh, last year with the Dodgers as a bullpen catcher. So I got a, I got a catcher I can throw to and, and throw off the mound. And there's a local high school up here that we go and play catch in the football field and baseball field. So, um, you know, it, it, it's nice being down in Atlanta and having the weather and having the opportunity to get outside and, and still, you know, be safe, um, but also get your work done. John, uh, how can baseball better market baseball players? And I've been, you know, I, I worry about the sport. I worry about, uh, you know, the, the fact that other sports continue to market their players in a better fashion. I've heard from uh, people in ownership and uh, front offices saying that the arbitration system works against baseball because of the fact that uh, that can be used if a, a player is marketed to a high level on certain teams. What, what are some of your thoughts about how baseball can better sell itself uh, during games themselves and, and in general to make the players more interesting and also more, uh, more present in, in people's lives? Um, you know, Bruce, I don't know. You know, I think that's really an individual thing. Um, 
you know, I know it, it took me a long time to, to kind of let my guard down and let, let some people in and, and do some different interviews and do some different things, allow people to come to the farm. You know, seven, eight years ago, I probably wouldn't have, have done that. Um, so I think it's an individual thing. I think now, too, there's so much social media, there's so much uh, of your own branding that, you know, guys are kind of doing it on their own. They don't need a baseball team to do that. They don't need the Chicago Cubs to do that for them. Um, you know, and, and just like any any other sport, you know, you, you have you have the stars. You have the guys that that draw the attention of the camera for whatever reason, whether they be, you know, the, the better players of the team or just a, a you know a more personality type player. Um, you know, whatever that may be. Like I said, I think it's an individual thing. I think anytime a team tries to do something, it come it comes across to the players as kind of forced, um, uncomfortable. You know, I think if you allow the player to to be themselves and to kind of have their own ideas, and then the team go along with them, I think you're going to get you know more of that of what that player or that individual is actually like. Um, you know, I know they've started micing guys up during spring training games. You know, that that's a perfect time to do it because it is a little more relaxed uh, during the regular season. I don't think, you know, I know I know for me on a personal level, if I'm pitching and I got, you know, player A over here on the on on a microphone talking to some analyst during a game, I don't really feel like he's focused in everything he needs to do in a regular season game. You see what I'm saying? Like, so there's like a fine line there of, uh, of, of getting that involved, um, you know, like I said, I think number one is the individual, is, is the, pl- the player, the person himself, and, and what he wants to do uh, to, to market himself, to, to brand himself in, in the game. I, I think that's wise. I think that the guys who are willing to share and are expressive should be encouraged, uh, as opposed to trying to drag everybody up to a to a certain level, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. What what the game can control is is maybe a rule here or there to make the game more interesting. I I, I miss action, John. I don't I don't know about you, but I miss I miss balls in play um, as opposed to home runs or strikeouts. And do you think you think the game would be served by trying to find a way to tweak a couple of things to to give us uh, give us more action, more fielders moving around, more runners running around the bases? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think they kind of tried that with the new baseball uh, that they won't admit that they put in play, um, and, and then that produced more home runs. So, you know, now you've got. I think their intentions were to do that, were to to allow more balls in play, but then that turned into a driving range. Basically, they're out there. You know, guys are out there hitting title as pro B ones as opposed to, you know. Right. I think a more fair ball. I think if you if you want more action, then yeah, you can go somewhere in between where where we've been. You know, the the playoff ball of this year and then the regular season ball. Um, you know, I think right now in our era and what we're teaching, you're not going to result in more balls in play. You know, you you are in in the aspect of power. You know, um, you're going to result in more doubles, more home runs. Uh, stuff like that, but as far as choking up and putting the ball in play, you know, Bruce, you were talking about the arbitration process. These guys that get called up know what's getting them paid in arbitration, and it's not singles to the opposite field. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.